Let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer this morning, and we'll get into our morning service. Um, and uh, we'll get over to the book of Matthew here in just a second. But again, I just uh, I want us to focus this morning a lot on what the Lord has done for us. And I, I think sometimes we 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 don't fully grasp the concept of how much He went through on that cross for our sins. And uh, this morning, I want us to focus on that. But let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for the time that you've given to me uh, to, to, to just study this out, Lord, the time that you've uh, given to speak to my heart about this. And Lord, I pray that you just continue to speak to me as, uh, as we listen to what you have for us. But Lord, I pray for every person that's here, that we would understand the importance of what you went through on that cross. That, Lord, we would truly receive um, this truth that you have in your word preserved for us. Again, Lord, I thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, that our hearts would be yielded and ready, receptive to receive your word. And I thank you again for all that you've done for us upon the cross, that we would pay for our sins, the resurrection so that we can have eternal life, your words so that we can have truth and guidance and direction in this life, and your Holy Spirit to teach us, and the love, Lord, that you've continued to demonstrate in our lives. Lord, may we ever be grateful and thankful for it. And I ask and pray all of this in your Son's precious and holy name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, this morning to the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to briefly mention some things over there in the book of Mark. You don't necessarily need to turn there, but it's it's a similar passage we see over in Mark chapter 15. But what we find here in the book of Matthew is another one of the sayings. We're looking at this fourth, uh, if you will, instance of the Lord speaking while he's on the cross. And here we see this what he what he says in this passage, and it's we're going to go back up there to verse 45 in Matthew chapter 27. He says, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness all over the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, that is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there and when they heard that said, this man crieth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. And the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Now here we are looking at this saying that he has, has, has cried upon this cross. This cross again, we realize why he's there. He is there to pay for my sin, to pay for your sin, to pay for the sins of the world. And in order to receive that salvation, in order to receive that forgiveness of sins, we have to receive him. We have to trust him as our Lord and Savior. But what we see with this fourth saying in this fourth instance here is he's communicating something of anguish. Now, Jesus Christ, here he is, and and while he is equally man and equally God, I want us to understand he is expressing this in a very fleshly form. He is expressing this because he is in some pain. 
Now, now again, we can look at the physical pain of what he's going through, but the pain that we're looking at specifically with this, this pain is, is, is spiritual anguish. I'm talking about deep to the piercing part of the soul where this anguish is. I don't know if any of us have ever been to the point of where we've actually felt our soul ache. Our soul feel like if it has been hurt and has been pierced. And I want us to think about this. And this is, this is kind of almost beyond our physical comprehension of what is happening. I don't think we truly understand how this is occurring. Now, we may have gone through some tough stuff in our life, but none of us have gone through this. None of us have gone through this part. And this part that we see here is, is, is one of the most anguish, uh, the most anguish that I think I've ever seen in all of Scripture to, to demonstrate what's happening here. And I want us to, to, again, to understand the mindset of what's happening. Here it is, the sixth hour for the, for the Hebrew day. That was, that was right there at midday. That's noon. And from about noon until about two o'clock, it was as if it was nighttime. The sun was not shining. Now, again, if you were there and you see that happening while he's on the cross, I would think that that would say something. But no, they continued to mock him. Let's see if Elias is going to save him. You know, is the prophet Elijah going to come and help him? And that's who they errantly thought he was calling out to. But he was calling out to God. They couldn't tell the difference. Again, in his moment of anguish, they weren't listening. But this moment of anguish, as we sit here and think about this, they didn't even see that significance. They didn't see what is what was going on. And I want us to look at this. And many of us have heard this phrase. We've read this phrase. We've read this sentence. We've read these words. But did we ever ask this question about it? Who is he asking this question to? Jesus Christ knows why he is on the cross. Jesus Christ has very clearly come to accept the will of God and the obedience unto death on this cross. He's accepted it. He, it's not like he doesn't know what's going on. Now, we'll tell you this, throughout all of Scripture, you will find that God asks questions. You may have heard me say this before, but when you look at Scripture and you start reading through Scripture, pay attention to the questions God asks. Pay attention to the questions that Christ asks in the Gospel. Pay attention to those. Because, again, Jesus, you know, our Lord, God, is not asking because he doesn't know. He's omniscient. He's all-knowing. He knows exactly what the answer is. So you go over to the book of Jonah, and he asks Jonah, Doest thou well to be angry? Do you think he was asking Jonah's opinion? (laughs) 
When he asks in, in the final part of the chapter, chapter 4, and he closes the book and the chapter with a question asking Jonah, is it wrong for me to extend mercy and forgiveness to people that repent? When we begin to think about that, we already know the answer. No answer is provided. No answer is given by God or anyone here at this point in time. So when we begin to realize why he's crying out and he's asking this question, this question is not for the purpose of his knowledge, but the purpose for our knowledge. So that we would know, so that we would know what the answer is, so that we would uh, contemplate the significance of this forsaking that occurs. Here we are, and we're talking about this. If you will, if I was going to put a title on this, I would be talking about forsaken for us. You realize that Jesus Christ underwent something on the cross that was God completely separating from him. Now, again, that is a hard thing to think about considering who he is. But here he is, he's doing this so that he would understand what is happening. And I want us to get this concept when we start thinking about this. I mean, here he is, he's asking this question because not he's seeking an answer, but for those that are in earshot, it says that he cried with a loud voice. He wasn't being quiet about this. He didn't mutter it under his breath. This was something that he he exclaimed at the top of his lungs because of the spiritual anguish he was enduring for us. To endure the forsaking of God in a person's life. I want us to think about that for a moment and what that means. And here we are, several thousand years later, reading this. God has given this to us. God said he preserved it for us. God said he's given it to us so that we can learn from it. So what can we learn about it this morning? What can we learn about this question? Over there in John chapter 18, verse 38, Pilate says, I find no fault in him at all. Here's Jesus Christ nailed to a cross who is completely innocent, has not done anything. He is not like the two malefactors. He's not like the thief on the left and on the right that deserved it, as we talked about. No, he's a person that that didn't deserve it. He's innocent. He hasn't done anything wrong. The accusations that were brought about him were false. There were false accusers that were brought. And they brought these false accusers for the purpose of getting him to the point of where they would kill him. Because again, they had an all motive behind this, but Jesus Christ knew what the real reason behind this was. The payment for sin. The only payment for sin. No matter how hard we work, we can never compare to the work of the cross. No matter how much good we can do, we can never compare to the goodness upon the cross. No matter how holy we think we are, we cannot compare to the holiness of Jesus Christ who died on the cross for my sin. We can't do that. We can't do that. And I want us to think about this just for a moment as we we, we, we contemplate. Here he's no fault. He's completely innocent. And he's crying out, suffering in the spirit for you and me. 
He's suffering in the Spirit for you and me. Go over to the book of Psalms. This was prophesied in Psalm chapter 22. This anguish that he was going to go through. This anguish that he was going to endure. And, and as we go through Psalm 22, we see it messianic in nature. In nature. But not messianic in the form of uh, messianic with uh, um, uh, uh, you know the the king of the Jews coming. We see it messianic as in our savior. Before he could be uh, uh, the king of Israel, he had to be the savior for them. He came to be the savior of the world to save from sins. So in Psalm chapter 22, several thousand years earlier, we have a prophecy that is being made here. And this prophecy starts off with, in Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? Here he is just experiencing the, the physical pain here he is now experiencing a spiritual pain. And again, we're talking about God looking the other way. That's why darkness fell. And I mean, here we are. We're, we're at 11 o'clock and the sun is shining bright. I mean, it's a nice day. It's a little overcast. It's the way I like it. It's, this is perfect. I love this weather. But if all of a sudden everything was to turn dark, a lot of us would be going, something's wrong. <laughs> Something is seriously wrong. But here we are looking at this, this, this spiritual suffering, and this is the reason why darkness is there. Go over to 1 Corinthians, the book of 1 Corinthians. And in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians Chapter 11, we see something very specific that the Lord says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and in verse 24, talking about the Lord Jesus, talking about the Lord's Supper. And he says, this is what we're supposed to, to look at. And it says, and when he had given thanks, this is what happened at the Last Supper, he break it and said, take, eat, This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. Now, I want you to think about it. The psalmist made it clear there would be no bone broken. There was no bone broken in Jesus Christ. They would come and break the legs of those that were on the cross, but they didn't do that here. They didn't do anything of that nature. What did they wind up doing? They put a spear in his side, but he was already dead. He already gave up the ghost. No no bone was broken in him. So why is he saying his body was broken? He's broken because of the spiritual anguish he endured on the cross. A broken relationship with the Lord. A broken relationship with the Lord. Have you ever been to a point in your life where, where, where maybe God has not been your priority? God has not been your number one. God has not been your only God. And you know there's something wrong in the relationship. And you begin to feel a little bit of that brokenness. I want you to understand he felt the brokenness 
of every man and person that broke that relationship, that communion with God through sin. I mean, you go over to to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, and Paul says that he was made sin for us. Can you imagine the anguish to take every sin of the world and put that upon Jesus Christ, to bear that burden, to have everything on there? We can't even bear our own sins sometimes. We feel guilty. We feel ashamed when we sin. Could you imagine every sin that has ever been committed in the entire span of man's existence? Past, present, and in that future? All upon him at that moment in time? There there he is. But you know what sin does? Sin sin is is a breaker. Sin spiritually separates things. Take a look over at the book of Luke in Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15. In Luke chapter 15 and in verse 24, we see some brokenness. Look at what the father says about the prodigal son. He says, for this My son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be married. Was his son really dead? No. His son was alive. His son was in a pig pen. His son had lost everything. And here he is rejoicing, and he said he was dead, and now he's alive again. You know, that death is a very clear, crisp brokenness. You cannot have a relationship any longer. It doesn't exist. That person is not there. And when we think about this here, he was acting as if his his own son had passed away. His son was dead. There was no contact. There was nothing anymore. There was had separated himself from his own family and had lived a life of sin and everything else. He was outside of the Father's will. And the same thing as happens with us when we sin. Take a look over at the book of Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians. In Second Thessalonians, in chapter one, verse nine, Paul writes this about those that are sinning, those that refuse to receive Christ. He says in verse 9, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. I want you to see that, from the presence of the Lord. All that sin that was upon Jesus Christ, the presence of the God the Father was not there at that point. There was a brokenness. There was a separation that occurred. And and when we think about how he bore our sins that way, and as as Peter talks about over there in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says he bore our sins. We know that he bore our sins. He's borne our sorrows. He's borne all of those things, that, that brokenness that is there. When he says his body is broken, we are talking about that broken hearted that, 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 that the Lord went for, through for us. 
the brokenness of the heart. And when we think about how, how the Lord went through that, to see that separation, to endure it for us, to know what it was going to be like for somebody that would die in their sins without Jesus Christ. He experienced that for us. He experienced that for us. There's a passage over there in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1 and verse 13, it specifically says that God cannot look upon sin and iniquity. And in that moment in time, with all the sin of the world, God the Father said, I will not look on that. And here he is crying out, knowing that that hour has come, knowing that that is is what he's going through in that anguish, he cries out, why hast thou forsaken me? You know what the answer to that question is? Why was Jesus Christ being forsaken by the Father? Because of our sin. Have we ever pondered that? That he would be broken like that for us? Have we ever had a situation where where there's a relationship and there's friction in the relationship and then it breaks apart? I want you to multiply that by a thousand. And then I want you to multiply that by a million. And then I want you to multiply that by a billion. We can't even fathom it. We can't, I mean... How can we ever even begin to experience that brokenness? Well, the reason of the forsaking was because he was made a curse for us, according to Galatians 3.13. That forsaking right there was because of our sin, and this is exactly what we would go through if we did not trust Jesus Christ as our Savior. We will experience that Forsaking, We will not be in the presence of God the Father. We're in the presence of His glory, as it said over there in First, um, uh, in, uh, in First, uh, or in Second Thessalonians. We, we, we won't have that. Not everybody goes to heaven. This is why He was on the cross for us. This is why He was experiencing that. You know, it makes it clear. There's so many passages over there about the unbeliever. I want you to turn over to the book of Psalms again and Psalm chapter 69 and see some of these passages about what happens and what occurs. And again, we ask this question, what circumstances does God forsake? And it's when somebody has rejected him. It's when somebody has said in their heart that there is no God. It's when somebody has said, I refuse to receive the sacrifice on the cross. It's when somebody says, I do not want him intervening on my behalf for my sin. I don't want forgiveness of sin. Now that's a bold statement. Any one of those is a bold statement that that, that a person would make. But do you know how many millions of people have said that? When presented with the truth of the gospel, that Jesus Christ died 
and was uh, resurrected and ascended to heaven for our sins according to 1 Corinthians 15? For the forgiveness of sins so that we might have eternal life? Take a look here in Psalm chapter 69 and take a look down at, uh, at verse 1. He says, save me, O God, for the soul, for waters are coming unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am coming to deep waters where the floods overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dried. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. He's talking about it in some pretty, pretty, pretty severe circumstances here. He's looking for salvation, but I want you to know the situation that he's in. He's stuck. He can't get out. He can't get out. You know, getting stuck in mud is one of the things that is very difficult to get out of. Why is that? Because of the immense amount of pressure in the water that is in that, in that dirt. When you try to pull somebody out, that, you're working against a vacuum sucking that person down. Or a vehicle for that matter. If you get a vehicle stuck in it, you understand. It gets in there, it locks it in, and it sucks it down, and it will continue to pull. And it seems as you continue to pull, it pulls mightier and mightier and mightier and sucks it down even further as you're trying to pull it. Like it won't release its grasp. And I want to explain that that is the gravity of our sin and what it does in our life. It sucks us down deeper and deeper and deeper away from God. This is the situation this individual's in. You take a look at verse 14 of the same passage, and he says, Deliver me out of the mire. Let me not sink. Let me not be delivered from, uh, let me be delivered from them that hate me out of deep waters. Let not the water overflow me. Neither let the deep swallow, uh, me up. And let not the pit shut her mouth upon me. You know what he's talking about? He's talking about a very serious situation where a person would die in their sins. Where somebody would go down, if you will, into that pit. Over there in the book of Luke, it says that the rich man, when he, uh, uh, when he passed away, he opened his eyes in immediate, he was in torment. And again, I want us to understand that this is the anguish that the Lord is enduring for us. This is the anguish that he's crying out, saying, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Could you imagine the rich man waking up and realizing, now there is no escape from this pit. There is no. He pleads with Abraham on the other side of Abraham's bosom. Please just send one one drop of water. That's all I need is one drop of water. And Abraham says, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. And here we are looking at this, this situation and we find that if you look at verse 17 again, he says, and hide not my face from thy servant, for I am in trouble. Hear me speedily. Draw nigh unto my soul and redeem it. Deliver me from the cause of my enemies. Thou hast known my reproach and my shame and my dishonor. My adversaries are all before thee. Reproach hath broken my heart. I am full of heaviness. And I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. I want you to look at verse 20 and realize that's the anguish on the cross. 
And it wasn't his reproach, but it was our reproach that broke his heart. It was the reason he didn't have anybody take pity was because of my sin. The reason he had no comforter was because of the sins that we had committed. We weren't even born yet. And he cries out in anguish. Why had God forsaken him? Because of me. Because of me. I mean, that's a weighty subject. That's something when we begin to realize what he's done for us to endure that. I, I can't even bear the, the, the pain of that. I lose my wallet and my heart's broken. <laughs> People lose their phone and their hearts are broken, right? But in reality, here, here, here it is. The loss of a son, the loss of a father, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a creation. And Christ is so, so burdened upon this that he says he's, he's broken and in heaviness. And this is why he's crying out. And they're, they're mocking him. They shove vinegar in his face. No one cares. No one cares. If we go back over to the book of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 26, in Matthew chapter 26, and we see there in verse, in verse 36. Here he is before the crucifixion as he's in the garden after the the Last Supper, in verse 36, he says, Then cometh Jesus with them to a place called Gethsemane, and said unto the disciples, Sit here while I go, pr- and pr- uh, go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. And he saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. He just wanted them to pray with him. But they fell asleep. Talk about indifference. Here he is, it says he's exceeding sorrowful. Began to be sorrowful and very heavy. I want you to take a look at the parallel passages of this. Go over to the book of Mark. The next book over from Matthew, Mark, and Mark chapter 14. Mark chapter 14 and verse 33, we see again where he, this is communicated about his condition. Mark portrays a little bit of a different picture here, uh, in regards to it, but of the same intent. And in verse 33, and it says, and he taketh with him Peter, James, and John, and began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. Could you imagine? Here's Jesus Christ being amazed. Here he is in the flesh, 
looking at and facing down every sin and the cost that was going to be the cross. Knowing what he was going to have to do, knowing that the Lord, that that God the Father would forsake him like he would forsake somebody that refuses to be saved, refuses salvation. That's a weighty thing. I'm amazed just reading it. But here he is experiencing it. How can we even begin to think about that for a moment? Go over to the other parallel passage in the book of Luke. Luke chapter 22. Again, just the next book over. A few pages in Luke chapter 22. Again, the same concept. He's going, he's taking them to go pray. And he goes and he prays, and I want you to see how how how, how he agonized over this. What anguish he went through in verse 44, and it says, In being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was, as it were, great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Have we ever been in such agony that we sweat blood? And there he is. There's, there's the agony and the anguish. And this, this, this saying that's on the cross where he says, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me is one of anguish. He's experiencing that anguish on my behalf. On my behalf. So I don't have to. Because when we begin to think about this, I mean, again, we, we we can't even begin to fathom this and describe the anguish of a soul when it's forsaken by God. You go over there to Revelation chapter 20 and verses 11 through 15. He says, all of the people whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life are being cast into a lake of fire where they are to be there forever. That's a scary thing. That's an anguish that that, that is beyond what our comprehension. He says over there in in the in, in the book of uh, Matthew and uh, a couple of places in, in in Mark or excuse me in the book of Luke where he's actually talking about it and he says depart from me for I never knew you. He's saying those to people that have refused him, refused the work of the cross, refused the salvation brought by resurrection. The people refusing it. He says, depart from me. Depart from me. And there we are looking at that just for that brief moment as we see Jesus on the cross experiencing that. Seeing very clearly what happens. I mean, there's a horror of sin that we need to realize. Romans chapter 6 verse 23 says, for the wages of sin is death. One sin equates death. That's not good. And a little bit of death does go a long way, as I've said. And we can't undo that death. But you know what? I didn't quote the whole verse. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. He endured that for me so I wouldn't have to. And all he says is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Right there, he makes it so clear, so evident 
of the need of a Savior as he's going through this on the cross. He says that sin came by one man. Adam, over there in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says sin came into the world by one man. Adam was Adam's one sin of eating a fruit he wasn't supposed to. The disobedience of God caused all the problems that we see today. All the horror, all the crime, all the wickedness, all the evilness, all the destruction, all the war, all of that was caused by that one sin. And you're like, man, if Adam hadn't sinned. Yeah, if Adam hadn't sinned. (laughs) But you know what? Jesus Christ knew that there would be sin that was there because the devil was actively trying to destroy the Lord, and he knew that that was going to come, and he purposed it before we were even made, before he even made the worlds. Guess what? He knew he was going to have to die for his creation. And it says in, in that same ver- the same chapter, Romans 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for us. And while we see the horror of sin and we see over there in Genesis chapter 3, over there about verse 8, where where what happens? They sin and what do they do? They hid themselves from the presence of God. The very first sin caused Adam and Eve to hide from the Creator that they had a personal walking, talking relationship with. They hid themselves. It was warned of Cain that sin lied at the, was lying at the door. And what wind up happening in verse 14 of the next chapter in Genesis chapter 4, he says very clearly over there that the sin had separated that relationship with him and God. Cain was now, had, had a problem that was happening because he had murdered his own brother Abel over a religious disagreement. <laughs> The very first Baptist split. (laughs) Very first church split. I mean, whatever you want to call it, we see there. But, but I say all of that to say this. As he's going through that agony of, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And we realize that the reason that he's being forsaken is because of our sin. I want to tell you, there is great hope in Jesus Christ. There, there is hope that I can't even begin to describe when we realize that he went through that so I wouldn't have to, so that I could have an eternal life, so that I could have forgiveness of sins, so that I could have the Holy Spirit speak to me and teach me and guide me and direct me. And, and as the scripture says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. He gives me all of that. And I look at that and I go, I am so undeserving. Yeah, there's hope in Christ. And I wanted you to see a few passages of Scripture, and I want you to turn with these with me. I want you to go over to Hebrews chapter 13. I got this passage of Scripture and one more, and then, and then I'll close. But I want you to see here in Hebrews chapter 13. <clears throat> Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. 
He says, let your conversation be without covetousness. Well, why? Because covetousness is idolatry. Basically putting something else before God. Let your conversation be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. And here's the contentment that we need. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Now I want you to stop for a moment. I want you to think about this. If you are trusting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he will never leave you or forsake you like what took place on the cross. You'll never have to experience that. He will, I, I want you to understand that promise. He will never forsake you. You can mess up royally. Brethren can forsake you. The world can forsake you. But God never will. Why? Because the forsaking was already done on that cross. And you received it. I, I mean, I can't even begin. And he says, I just, just be content with that. If we lost everything in the world today, if we lost our family, if we lost our job, if we lost our house, if we lost our pets, if we lost everything, if we didn't have anything and we were completely, just absolutely devoid of everything in this life, we were losing our health, we barely had clothes to cover us, and we had nothing. But you had Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have so much to be content with. You have so much to be content with. Why? Because when he was on that cross saying, why hast thou forsaken me? It was because of me. He, he, he went through that for me. So I wouldn't have to. So I wouldn't have to. I mean, right there we see the, the, the immense love that God has. And here we are looking at this and realizing that all we have to do as Christians today is just follow His will. But even before that, to become a believer, to be somebody that is a child of God, because the only person that can be a child of God is a person that has received the Lord as their Savior. The Bible says that a person that has not is a child of wrath, is a child of disobedience, is a child of darkness, is a child of the devil. But he is not willing that any should perish. So what did he do? He died on the cross for us. He gave us a means. He gave us salvation. And it's a free gift for everyone to receive. No work. No payment. No money. Nothing. He paid for it on the cross. My anguish was his anguish. That he took upon himself. Because he loved me. Because he loved me. Go over to the book of John. John chapter 13. Now, now, I want you to understand something. 
I know I say I have a lot of favorite passages in Scripture. I, I, I love the whole book, okay? <laughs> some of it, like you go over to their numbers, they start talking about names and stuff like that. And for somebody that hooked on phonics didn't work for, hey, it's a little difficult, all right? But there's great, there's, there's even some amazing things hidden in that, okay? And, and you know, I say I love Ephesians. I love Ephesians 4. I love the book of Jonah. Um, you know, I, I, I love other passages. I really love the book of John. John is great. Somebody, somebody comes to me and says, where do, where do you start reading in the Bible? Well, okay, you can start reading in Genesis, but by the time you get to Leviticus, you're going to be going, wait, what? <laughs> What's with all of these animals, you know, getting sacrificed in these clothes and stuff like that? I'd say, you know where the best place to start? Start in the book of John. Go over to Ephesians. Some people say Romans. Ephesians is the Reader's Digest version of Romans, okay? <laughs> it's a little easier to understand. And, 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 uh, and I, I say those two books because they're just so filled with such great comfort and joy. And, and when you read through the book of, of John and you get to, to John chapter 13, I want you to look at that first verse, John 13, verse 1. I just want you to silently read it for a second. And I want you to see the last part of that, that, that verse. John 13, 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew his hour was come, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. To the end. His ministry was wrapped up on that cross and his resurrection, and he still loved him. You know what? They forsook him. In the garden, everyone fled. Everyone fled. As we talked about, there was only one that was at the cross. John. There was three other women that were there. Everyone else. And at this point in time, when he cried out, there were no comforters left. John left. John didn't see this part. Mary didn't see this part. But you know what? There's something that is so great about knowing that the Lord loves us to the end. And I have to ask this morning, if we were here, and God forbid something should happen, and we were to die in this moment, do we know where we would spend eternity? Would it be in the presence of our Savior, in perfection, and holiness, without sin, without sickness, without death. Because to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. But that only happens if we're saved, if we have trusted Christ as our Savior, if we've received that salvation from the punishment of sin. That's what being saved is about. We are being saved from 
The second death. The second death. And what is the second death? The second death is a lake of fire. If we're not sure, then I will tell you this. God is a just God. He has to punish sin. Otherwise, He is not God. And He's prepared a place for sin. A place that was prepared for the devil and his angels. Everlasting punishment and torment. But He doesn't want you to go there. He simply says, receive Him today as your Savior. It's simple. It's simple. There are people in here right now that if you come to them and you ask them, how can I have a home in heaven? How can I make sure that I don't experience that anguish he experienced for me on the cross of separation from God? How can I, how can I have that? There are people that will show you with the Bible how you can trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. How you can have forgiveness of sins. How you can ensure that the Lord will never leave you or forsake you. Because these things were written, as John says, these things were written so that we may know that we have eternal life. This book is written for you. It's written for you as the words of life that he gave his life for ours on that cross. Will you receive them today? Let's stand for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you again for this time. I want to thank you again for this opportunity, Lord, to hear your word. And Lord, it's a very sobering message this morning, but Lord, it is such a great message when we realize the hope that is found in you. Lord, may we never forget that hope. May we never forget that you will never leave us or forsake us. But Lord, I pray that everyone here has that promise. I pray, Lord, that if there is somebody here that has not trusted Christ as their Savior, or they're unsure, or they want to get it, they want to get it taken care of, that Lord, they would just come. Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. I thank you for what you did upon the cross. Lord, I thank you for experiencing the anguish so I wouldn't have to. Lord, I thank you for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, I thank you so much for your love. Lord, I just pray that we would understand all of this this morning as we meditate, think on it, and Lord, allow your Holy Spirit to continue to work. And I ask and I pray this in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.